All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to break bread in the spirit, to share the word of God and, and to um, dispense the truths of God's word. I ask that you use this and um, may, it, may it edify us and strengthen us. And I pray that we take it and do something with it, Lord, and uh, make, it, make it fruitful in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Thank you so much for the privilege of sharing the word. Uh, and I'm grateful. And I'm thankful to you, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Hey, let's do this as a tradition. Let's stand for the reading of the word today. Uh, you'll have a little bit of movement here and there, but not much after this. Matthew 17, verse 20. This is our series text. I'll read it, and you guys can say amen, okay? Because you are not taking God seriously, Jesus said. Um, and then he goes on, and he kind of contrasts. He says, here's the thing. The simple truth is, if you and I had a mere kernel of faith, a poppy seed, we could say or tell this mountain move. Everybody say move. That's our series. And it would, in fact, move. And there is nothing you wouldn't be able to tackle. Tackle your neighbor as you seat yourself and just say there's nothing you can't do by faith. Amen? <laughs> Nobody tackled anybody. Nobody tackled anybody. Praise the Lord. Here's the thing about that, that word. I, I think we get pumped up even when we hear a scripture like that. If you can just speak to a mountain, a mountain move. We know that mountains in, in scripture are referring to like problems or obstacles uh, in our faith and in our spiritual journey. Like, and we need solutions. We need answers. We need help. Um, and so the Bible's telling you if you just had a little bit of faith, you could speak to those things and, and they'd move. But I think we say amen and hallelujah and yes on the outside, but sometimes on the inside we're saying, well, how come, why, where, you know, what's up, God, why that didn't happen uh, for me? And so we built a kind of theme for the series last week, and, and, and a big idea for the series last week is that your miracle is connected to your movement. Your miracle is connected to your movement. And we, we identified uh, kind of a, a, or an illustration uh, that God is like a motion detector. God moves when you move. Uh, you can go, and I used an example, and I won't pack, uh, unpack this a lot, but you, you, you've seen these incredible um, upgrades in technology where you can, you, you need to, uh, you know, wash your hands and you can swipe under a, a faucet, and because of the motion detector, the water will come out. And because of the paper towel dispenser being having a motion detector, you can wax on and you can wax off, and, and the paper towels will be dispensed. And, and God is like that. He is a motion detector. He will dispense his, the miracles, the solutions, and the answers when you move. Your, your, your miracle is connected to your movement. Amen? And we talked about one of the toughest areas for people to move up in their faith is actually with their money. That's what we did last week. How many here last week? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're like, thank God I wasn't here last week. <laughs> uh, but it's one of those areas, we don't talk about money a lot, but we, we take about a series, one you know, group of messages a year to talk about resources because the Bible talks about resources a ton. Uh, like one out of ten scriptures has to do with that in the Bible, believe it or not. Thousands of scriptures related to resources, and Jesus talked about it a lot. So it would be irresponsible of me not to talk about it once in a while. And we talked about levels, kind of 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 movement in our finances. And some people are at ground zero. You know, sea level. <laughs> I see it, and I'm going to stay in this level. <laughs> but some people are moved up. They're they're what we call spontaneous givers. These are people that see a need and they meet it. 
or they want to meet it, and they try to meet it. And then there's strategic givers. These are people that are practicing predetermined, planned giving. The Bible uses the word tithe for that. Tithe. People have a hard time even saying the word, let alone practicing the word. But that word is a life-changing word. Can I have an amen out there? It will change your life if you begin to practice the tithe. And if you didn't get that message and you want to hear um, God's truth in a relevant way, I really want to encourage you last week to get that. And the last, the last level that we can move up to, the message was called Moving On Up. Um, and the last level is sacrificial giving. Everybody say sacrifice. And that's what we're going to be doing, by the way, on December 3rd, is we're bringing a sacrificial gift unto God. That will not be a business transaction. That will be a worship experience in this service. Uh, don't be late. Don't be sick. Don't say, I'm thick. I'm thick on that day. I think I'm going to stay home and watch, the, watch online. This is a great day to be in church. Can I have an amen? All right. So uh, today I want to introduce a new thought. Everybody say new thought. Uh, and and it's, it's based on this kind of idea. Uh, the message is called Deciding to Move. Deciding to Move. Okay? Last week's Moving On Up. Today's Deciding to Move. Next week is Motivation for Movement. And the last week is Move Over. <laughs> um, and I'll unpack those later. But today I want to talk about the decision to move. We've, we've heard at Connect, if you've been here any length of time, I said it a few minutes ago with my wife, a phrase that I've adopted, that I heard from my pastor many years ago, about 15 years ago. And I loved it. It connected with me because I never wanted to um, be a pastor or use the office of a pastor, uh, the influence of one, to coerce or manipulate people. So I never want you to feel under pressure because for some reason uh, or because I'm under pressure. And so I love the phrase. And the phrase is, talk to God and just do what he says. All right, let's say that out loud. Talk to God and just do what he says. So that's kind of our big idea, all right? And, and, I'm, I, and I, I love that phrase, and it's grounded in the idea that um, I, can't, I can't change you. There's nothing I can do to change you. I can teach you, but I can't change you. Only God can change us. Amen? So i got to be faithful to just teach the word. But you need to be faithful, and I as a saint need to be faithful to talk to God. Talk to God. But assuming we, and I'm going to make an assumption that many of us, are talking to God about many things and decisions that we need to make because life is full of huge moves, big decisions that we have to make in our life. Assuming that you are talking to God, uh, making that basic assumption, sometimes there's some issues with that that cause us to like have uncertainty about moving out on that decision. So talk to God, do what he says. Somewhere in the between of those two words is this thing called discerning. Is that, in fact, God speaking to me after I talk to him? I think I heard something. Is that God or is it a bad taco I ate last night? Like, how do I know and how do I differentiate between those two? Does that seem relevant to anybody out there right now? So some people, to be honest, don't talk to God when, you, when the word tells us to talk to him or when the pastor tells us to talk to him. And I think that's because we think we know what he's going to say to us. I don't want to talk to him because he's going to make me quit my job and move to a third world country and live in a mud hut and be eaten alive by mosquitoes the rest of my life, all for the love of Jesus. We, we, we just have a bad view of what we think God would tell us to do, as if he wouldn't do, as if he would, as if serving him and following his will won't be the most fulfilling thing we ever did in our life. So some people, I think, don't talk to God because of that. Some people do talk to God. They attempt to talk to God. They presume to talk to God, 
but they're uncertain, was it in fact God? And so I don't, I don't move forward. I don't move out. I don't make the decision. Should I, uh, right before winter comes, move to Florida? Some of you thinking about that, you're like, God, it was cold this morning. I think the Holy Spirit's telling me to move to Florida. You know, so some of you had decisions like that to be made. Some of you had decisions like, do I buy this house? Do I not buy this house? Do I major in this in college? Do I not major in this in college? Do I continue to date this joker or not? Do I tell him peace out to the left, to the left? <laughs> Is that what I do? Or, or do I keep going forward? Do I keep going forward? Uh, and what, you know, God's telling me what to give. Should I give that? Is that God? No, that can't be God telling me to give that. Get thee behind me, Satan. That's way too much money. How, how, do, I, how do I know? So we have these huge moves, I like to call them, these decisions that we have to make and we need to discern. Here's what people, they fall, there's like two types of people and we need to combine these two types to be the right kind of decision makers, okay? So I'm going to give you two types of people. Is everybody with me right now? Okay, so there's, there's two types of people out here in the room right now. There's people that are always discerning and never deciding. Oh, no, so what, hey, you know, have you been praying about it? Yeah, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Uh, how long have you been praying about it? Well, since 1959, I've been praying about that, you know? Always in the discernment process. In fact, people in this category oftentimes hide behind this Christian word discerning. Just discerning. Discerning, praying about it, processing. Uh, as pastor says, prinking. I'm prinking about it. I'm praying and thinking together is prinking if you don't know what that means, okay? And so the truth is we really don't know. We really, we're, really, we're really not discerning. And if God says yes, we're like no, you know, whatever. Sometimes we haven't had it modeled well. But we're in this constant state of delay. We're just discerning, not deciding. Now, the other side, my father used to say, then there again, on the other hand. Some people are deciding and never discerning. So there's a group of people out there, out there, that are, that are deciding, not discerning. These are the knee-jerk decision makers. These are the reactive, impulsive, you know, feelings-prompted Decision makers out there. And then these people, what happens sometimes is because of that proclivity, uh, that, that inclination to make decisions like that, they make the decision. It ends up being oftentimes bad decisions. And then they blame God for not kind of like blessing it, blessing them, and not showing them along the way the best way to go. But they, they made a decision before they discerned. What God wants us to do, we must decide from a place of discerning. God wants us to decide from a place of discerning. What is a place of discerning, Pastor? Well, first, let's define this word discern or discernment, okay? The word discernment is basically the ability to differentiate between the voice of Jesus and all kinds of other competing voices. And let me just tell you something. You are, be, you are being berated constantly with other voices all the time. Right now you're being, some, some of you are in another place. Some of you are in Florida on thinking, building a house because of something I said. Hello. Some of you are building a, hello. Some of you are building, I'm going to try it again, shut it off. Some of you are building a house in Florida because I mentioned Florida a little while ago and that voice distracted you and you left and now you're coming back. Welcome. Welcome back to church. Right? You got distracted by another voice. Is everybody with me? 
Some of you heard Jimmy talk about hunger for God, and you started thinking about restaurant and, and where you can eat right after church. We're being berated, okay? Now, those are funny examples, but there can be more serious ones. Internal, in, internal uh, material of your heart has been, has been affected by different things that have happened to you. Are you with me? And so this discernment, uh, this discernment process is multi-layered. It has a lot, and I'm going to try to help you see different things about it. Because ultimately what we're trying to do, what my goal objective is, is to help you determine how do you listen to your heart. Not your blood pumping heart, your spiritual heart. How do you, how do you interpret? How do you, how do you integrate what you feel, what you feel, the promptings of the spirit, the desires, the passions. How do you, and can you integrate that into the discernment process? Is that relevant? Turn to your neighbor and say, I think this is relevant for you. Let me give you, let me give you some guidance. Let's go back to the Bible in Philippians chapter 2. This, this scripture does not say, here's how you discern, okay? But it has clues. It has principles in it that can help us learn how to discern and what God is saying to our hearts. Are you with me, everybody? Philippians 2.12 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Really, Paul? Always obeyed? I'm not sure that's the status of the modern church today. Not only in my presence, but now, even in my absence, every parent's dream that we'd, they'd obey when we're not there. <laughs> Sidebar. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, everybody say, in you, to will and to act in accordance or in order to fulfill his purposes. So Paul summarizes, the first verse is basically in summary is, obedience is a big deal. Paul says, Paul's, Paul's talking about the, the Christian experience is serious. We're not supposed to like play church. We're not just supposed to like talk to God uh, sing songs to God, read verses in the Bible. No, the, the Christian experience is talk to God, do what he says. The Christian experience is hear and obey. All right? We used to sing this song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We're really not going to be fulfilled if their obedience isn't a part of the Christian experience. Are you with me? So then he goes on to say in verse 13, well, let me say it like this. So that's your part. Everybody say, that's my part. You, you work it on the outside. You work it out, and here's what's going to happen. God works it in. You're working it out. God's working it in. That's why he uses this word, in you. Verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you. This is a little wordplay he does here where he's saying, you work it out. You're doing the outside stuff. While you're doing that, following my teachings, following my decrees, obeying what I say, talking to me and doing what I told you to do, while you're doing that, I'm going to work on the inside of you, changing you from the inside out. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit is a change agent. He is, he is, he is building the inside of you, and this is this partnership that's happening here. And honestly, that's the, Christian, that's the Christian experience in a nutshell. You're working it out. He's working it in. Okay? So what is God, let's talk about the in part, though, today. What is God doing in you? Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. God is always stirring your hearts to do his will. You need to know something, that God is always stirring you to do his will. 
And his will is always what's best for you. His will is always what will bring the most fulfillment, the most joy, the most passion to your life. God's not building the inner material of your spiritual life uh, to make you miserable. Okay? If it was to send you to a third world country and serve him as a missionary, you would be fulfilled. Okay? You would be. And, And so this leads me to an important um, kind of exchange here about our hearts. Um, because people, when we talk about this stuff, how many raised in the church? Raise your hand. If you like, kind of grew up in the church, raise your hand. Good night, good night. So it's about 50%, maybe a little more. Last service, the same thing. That, th- by the way, that just says some awesome things about your church. That means about 40 to 50% of our church are not, we're not raised in the church, which means we're reaching people that did not go to church. Can you have an amen out there? And those of you who didn't grow up in church, that's not me uh, condemning you or trying to make you feel bad. I'm so, that means we're doing what we're called to do. Because we're not a church just for church people. We're a church for all people. And that means it's working. So if you're a church person, just you should be shouting amen because it's working. Your church is connecting the disconnected to God. Can I have an amen? That's awesome. I love it. That's why sometimes I have to break things down because you weren't raised in it. But some of you, I need to break things up because you were raised in it wrong. And so what I was going to say is, get back to the message, Pastor Derek. What I was going to say is some of you received a teaching that the heart can't be trusted. And I want to bust that up, okay, with a sledgehammer a little bit, okay. The heart can't be trusted. The heart, you can't trust the heart, you know. And, and we used to sing this song in the 80s. It was, called, it was by a band called Heart. Listen to your heart. Remember that song? I love it. You guys know that song? That's awesome. I thought I was stuck in a time warp, a time loop in the 80s, and nobody would know that. That's fire. No, I'm not going to sing that. Praise the Lord. If you give me an electric guitar, I might sing it. And give me three beautiful girls behind me with fire hair that goes out to here, then maybe I'll think about it. I'll think about it. But the reason people say that is because of an isolated, um, narrow text that they use. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Dum, dum, dum. It doesn't say the dum, dum, dum at the end, in case you're wondering. Okay, but, but because of that text and a narrow view of that text, we assume the heart can't be trusted. You can't, it can't be cured. It's, it's just, it's evil. And so here's what I want to say. Is the heart good or bad? Yes. That's my answer. Is the heart good? Is the heart bad? Yes. It depends. What does it depend on? Let me tell you in a nutshell. If you got a new heart. It all depends. The simple theology is, did you get a new heart? If you got a new heart, the heart can be trusted. It can, you can build on the new heart. Ezekiel tells us this in his word. It says in verse 20, 30, chapter 36, verse 26, God said, I'll give you a new heart. Everybody say new. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, by grace, through faith, if you said it and you meant it, you in that moment received a miracle. It's still the greatest miracle of all. It's greater than eyes opening, ears popping, people coming in on a wheelchair because that's temporary and they'll get sick again. Their legs will break again. Their eyes will fail again. But when you receive a new heart, it's an eternal miracle that changes your future forever. It's the greatest miracle of all. So when you receive Jesus, you got a new heart. At the same time, you got a new spirit, the Bible says. It says, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And I'm going to remove that heart that, that was resistant to me, rejected me, gave me the Heisman. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that is, that is malleable, teachable, and it can be fashioned into the image of God. And then I'm going to put a spirit in you. Everybody say spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes in you, guess what it does? It moves you. 
The Spirit moves you to want to do what God wants you to do. Are you with me? This is powerful stuff. Amen. So he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new heart. And when God's giving you a new heart, this inside job begins. Now, is the new heart that God gave you always going to do God's will all the time? No. It won't. Okay. But it's new, which means it has the capacity and ability to do what God says. And as it relates to the discernment process, is essential to the discernment process. Your heart is essential in discerning what God's will is for your life. Are you with me? You can, let me summarize it, you can listen to your heart. You can listen to your heart. Number two, so here's what's going to happen inside of you. Philippians 2 is kind of our key text. What is God doing in you? He helps you listen to your heart. He helps you listen to your heart. St. Augustine said this, he said, love God and do whatever you please. What? Then he qualifies it, so hang on. He says, love God, do whatever you please. He said, the soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is his beloved. See, I trained my kids to love me and Stacy. I'd say, I love you. And we would demonstrate that love. And then we would say, now say, I love you, Daddy. Say, I love you, Mommy. We trained our kids to love. And because of that, they were raised in that condition, in that relationship. They would never do anything deliberately to offend us, generally speaking, with their broken little natures. But do you understand what I'm saying? Do you get this principally? See, when you're, when you're in love with God, you don't want to do anything to offend God. And so this verse that is sometimes taken out of t- context and built a whole theology around it, the heart is wicked and desperate, it's because there wasn't a new heart. But when you get a new heart, uh, we see that David said in Psalm 37.4, look what happens. Psalm 37.4, put it up, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll g- give you the desires of your heart. So when you're putting your focus and your attention, it's kind of an if-then to this verse. If you delight in the Lord, then I will give you the desires you should have in your heart, and they will happen. Did you get that? God, God, by just like we saw in Ezekiel 37, 36, God will move you because he put a new spirit in you to change the things that you're moved to do. This is good. This is better than you're saying amen, okay? Now, I love all that. And that's true, uh, and that's going on in the interior of your life, God building you, and yet it can still be difficult and even dangerous in the discernment process. Sometimes it's still hard, and sometimes we can even do things that can become detrimental or dangerous to our lives. I had a conversation with um, a woman in this church, and she was going to make a vocational change in her life, or she was contemplating a vocational change in her life, and she wanted some advice. And so I just asked her some simple questions. I wrote them down. I said, do you enjoy what you do right now? She said, yes. I said, do you feel at peace where you are right now? She said, yes. So she's thinking about changing with those two things as prerequisites. I said, if you take this new job that you have no experience or passion for, how would you feel? She said, I would feel uncomfortable and not sure I'd even like it. So then I said, what's the problem? She said this. This is very telling. She said, I think it's God's will only when I don't want to do it. The, the, her heart theology was expressed in that statement. In other words, God would only tell me to do something that I wouldn't like to do. Do you think that could affect the discernment process? Right? So I'm trying to get you to see that even though 
God is working in you, even though God is stirring your hearts to do his will, even though you can listen to your heart, your heart still can go this way and your heart can go that way. Are you with me, everybody? And so uh, I think many of us think similarly. If I, if I don't want to do it, he's telling me to do it. No, that's not necessarily the case, everybody. And sometimes we build a case around a specific situation. Many of us have that type of theology at the core or other types of, we need we need a theology of the heart, and I want to give you a little bit of that because we got to learn how to integrate what's happening in our heart into this discernment process because some of you are facing, as it were, uh, uh, the devil on your shoulder and, and God on your other shoulder. That's you. You're not, you're not seeing it every moment, but like, wait a second, is that God or is that the enemy, you know? Uh, give a lot of money. That's Satan. You know what I mean? Uh, move to Florida. That's God. <laughs> right? For you, and can I just say, you have a natural bent towards a default towards your will, not God's will. In this, in this, in this process and in this journey. So, so how do you discern these things? We need, we need what theologians refer to as developing discernment. Developing discernment. It's a muscle that, and this part's hard to explain, but it's just, it, it, it needs development. This, this part that I'm talking about won't happen overnight. You'll get better and better and better at it as you exercise this muscle. Because you're going to have these promptings of God and God's spirit to be sometimes towards God. And you're going to have these promptings that are not from God to, be, to go away from God. These pullings. And so how do you discern it? Three, I'm going to give you three D's. Can you imagine that? Okay? Three D's here. We need to discern things doctrinally first. Doctrinally. Here's what 1 John 4, 1 says. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Everybody say test. This is a big word. There's a lot in here. But I, we get things from God or from somewhere else, and rarely do we test it, or I'll say this later, check it. God wants you to have a gatekeeper, a, 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 a gatekeeper for the door of your heart. That portal will take you, that door will take you into some great places or some dangerous places. You need to learn how to test to see what? Whether they're from God or from someone else, like a false prophet. This particular verse is where, is where a false prophet was teaching that Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead. So this was bad theology. So what they were saying had to be tested doctrinally. Is everybody with me? How do you do that? What would that look like for you? Well, if you got something from the outside or from the inside, in this case, I'm emphasizing inside, is it, is, does it line up with God's word, with scripture? If it doesn't line up with God, if God's voice, supposedly, doesn't line up with God's word, it's not God. And by the way, I'll flip it. If it's, it, if, if it's God's word, you always want to exalt his opinion over yours as a general rule. Okay. Another part of this doctrinal discernment is, does it make you more like Christ? Does it make you more or less like Christ? Amen. Are you with me, everybody? Number three, another thing you do is, what does godly counsel say? What does godly counsel say? This is the thing that so few people implement in the discerning process. So if God's revealed something to your heart and then you just run out into the street and start doing it, you're not being wise. You've checked your brain at the door. God has put people in your life to help you see what you can't see because we all have blind spots. I'll say it like this. I said this in the last service, but I can better see the will of God for Jimmy's life sometimes than Jimmy can because 
his, his, in, his feelings, his passions, his emotions can blind him sometimes or cause him to be in a subjective disposition, whereas I don't have any attachments to things, and I can be more objective. Conversely, sometimes it's hard for me to interpret the will of God and what God's saying to me without some subjectivity. I need outside trusted counsel, godly counsel, by the way, to assist me with that. Are you with me? You need to pursue godly counsel to be able to discern uh, doctrinally. The next thing in the discernment process is we need to discern the spirits, it's a little crazy, demonically. Okay, demonically. Sometimes the enemy is at work to deceive you. Do you know that one of his job, part of his job description is to deceive the saints? He's trying to deceive. He's not going to spend a lot of time on people who don't know God. He's going, to, he's going to double down to spend time on and to deceive and to distort uh, people who are following God and going down his path. Okay? So he works hard at that. He comes as an angel of light. So he'll twist things, distort things, and, and whatnot. And so what you need is, God's provided, by the way, a gift for you. When you, when you follow God, you get, these, you get these gifts. One of the gifts uh, is you can begin to think like God. You can speak like him, act like him, and think like him. There's nine spiritual gifts, three categories. But in the think like God, there's words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Okay? Discerning of spirits, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, references that gift if you need a scriptural reference. But what does that gift do? It fundamentally tells you or helps you discern, is this evil or is this good? Is this God or is this Satan? Or sp sponsored by those those sources. Are you with me? Who's influencing this? 1 Thessalonians 5 19, 5, 19 says, don't treat prophecy with contempt. Test them all. So if you get a word, you still have to test it. Here's that word test again. Hold on to what is good. Reject what is evil. And then you won't quench the spirit. So the spirit's coming to you. You don't want to put water on the fire. So how do you do it? Make sure that it lines up with what is good. Test it. Test it. Are you with me? Here's another way that we discern, and that is uh, we, we, we need to discern the spirits directionally. Directionally. Everybody say directionally. Let me give you a simple test for this. How do you discern directionally? Just a simple question. True or false question, all right, in a nutshell. True spirits within you will pull you towards God. False spirits within you will push you away from God. It's very simple. Am I being pulled towards God? Am I being pushed away towards God? So that's how you can test spirits directionally. Is this coming from him or is this pushing me away from him? Now, did you get something out of that? Practical? Now, here's the hardest part of the message, okay? There's another aspect of this discernment process that I think is significant, and I need you to put on your thinking caps, okay? I need you to dial in a little bit deeper because I'm going to use two big words. Don't get scared. Okay, they're not Greek or Hebrew, they're English, all right? Two big words, and then I'll unpack them for you. Here's the word, consolation and desolation. Consolation, desolation, okay? Ready? Let me unpack these for you. What is God doing in you? First, before I get into that, here's number four. He's going to teach you, this is all about, is God, how does God speak to my heart? He's going to teach you to separate the positive and negative dispositions of my heart. Disposition is not an attitude. It's a state of being. It's a state of being. Do you know when, like, you can tell when a person's at dis-ease or at peace? You know, I mean, they're, they're not diseased. They're, they're not at ease. You can tell. 
You look at a person like, he's uptight. Woo, you know what I mean? She's wound tight. She's upset. She, you can just look at a person. And you can just tell their, their disposition, their state of being, right? You can also tell when somebody's peaceful. In fact, when people have that posture of peace, doesn't it influence everybody else? I, tra- I like to travel with people. I call them human tranquilizers. I like to travel with peaceful people. I don't, I, just because my, my life's busy and there's a lot of pull and sometimes stress. And so, like, when I'm traveling, I don't want somebody talking my ear off the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, for the love of Moses, I'm trying to rest. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like sit in the middle, block out everybody else so that I can chill out for a few minutes. <laughs> Insight into the pastor's life. Sorry about that. Okay, so, but we're going to need to discern between consolations and desolations. What's going on in our heart? When you do this well, here's the goal or here's the result. God wants to give you a revelation from him. See, God's, God wants you to live in revelation. He wants to be speaking to you. When you know God is speaking to you and you know it's him, it's life-changing. When you, like I just got a shift in direction for something in the ministry a little while ago and I was wrestling the consolations and desolations of my heart and I finally, and he, he gave me what I call a holy pivot. We're going to do it this way. We're going to shift. We're going to do this. Changed everything for me. I have so much more peace now because of that. God wants that for you. So what happens a lot of times though is we're not getting the words from God internally, we're pursuing them externally because it's easier sometimes. We want someone on the outside to say to us what God is saying. Don't worry, I'm going to define those two words in a minute, but listen to me. We want somebody on the outside to tell us externally, thus saith the Lord, go do this. Now sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not marinated in, in King James language, but we want somebody just, because it's just, because sometimes as Christians, we're lazy. Back in the day, how many raised, raised the church, Pentecostal churches raised up, raised up in Pentecostal? Okay, so some of you will relate to this, but what Pentecostal churches, we used to have this thing called personal prophecy. And what we wanted was we wanted to go to church, and we wanted someone representing God to tell us what we should do. Or confirm what we wanted to do. Marry him, buy that, do this. Right? And so we wanted a personal prophecy, and we wanted someone to determine for us because it was a way to accelerate and accentuate what we wanted in our heart, but a lot of times it wasn't from God. So we wanted a quick fix down at the altar where somebody lays his hands on us and just give us that quick word, but it could be very detrimental to our future because God wanted to give it to you from the inside out so that you had buy-in, so that you could really build on something, so that he could develop you, so it could hold up under fire. Are you with me, everybody? And sometimes we risk going off course and being misdirected off the path because we've, it's, it's easier for us to listen to just a little quick moment uh, from somebody else. And so there's this tension between consolation and desolation. Let me describe consolations. Consolations are folk where we're focused. It's outward focused. We're excited, we're, we're feeling generous, we're, we have internal joy, we have peace, we, we feel good about someone or something, and, and we might feel uh, like bonded towards someone, we might have new vision, or somebody gave us new vision, and we're excited about it, there's new energy, and all it restores balance, consolations can be good, they can be really, really good. Like you might meet someone, girls, and you're like, whoo, he's new, he's shiny, and then he's coming over and he's paying a little bit of attention to you and he's pumping you up and he's speaking life into you. And, 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 and then you think quickly, ooh, is he the one? Yeah. 
Is he the one or she the one, right? And then, and then you go and you talk to Devin, and, 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 and Devin's like, uh, what? You know, what's, what's his last name? And then she's like, I don't know. Check. Dev's like, well, <laughs> you don't know his last name, you know? And immediately there's this check to the consolations of her heart. Consolations are good, but consolations can be dangerous, even deceptive. Are you with me? So what do you do? You have to test it before you decide it. God has it all through the Bible. Consolations can be good, but they can also be bad if you don't test it before you decide it. We, we do this in all kinds of areas of our life. We do it in relationships. We don't test it. What does a test look like relationally? Take, take your relationship through seasons, through, through, through tests, through situations. Like some of us are just so quick. You got to test everything. Uh, you get a new job. You get a job offer. It's more money. Obviously, it's God. No, you need to test that. It could be a massive distraction. The company could be built on a faulty foundation. There could be no integrity. The boss you get could be far more detrimental to your overall family health. You, and you just took the money. You didn't test the consolations of your heart. Let's go to the dark side. The dark side is desolations. Desolations is, and again, I told you there's a default always towards your will over God's will. Desolations are the other side, and, and, and this is where you can get really off. Desolations is where you're inward focused. Why? Because you're unhappy in your marriage. Why? Because you can't stand working in this job, and this boss is difficult. And so this is, your, your energy is low. You want to just quit. You're, you're drained, you're, there's negativity, you'd walk away in a heartbeat, you, you're pulling away from other people that, that you don't want to listen to right now, and people are making so many decisions out of desolation. The desolations of their heart is where so many Christians are making their decisions. I hope you're listening to what I'm saying. And you need to check it. Everybody say, check it. When, when you're dealing with the desolations of your heart, you have to wait for it before you do it. You need to, you need to let those feelings pass. What does that look like? I, I, use, I call it the white water principle. If you ever went white water rafting and you fell out of the boat, what they would tell you to do is don't try to save yourself. They would say simply, life is out of control for you. you don't, you've never been here before. You don't know how to get out of this situation. Your only responsibility when you've fallen out of the boat is raise your hand and wait for somebody to, who is secure. Wait for somebody who is objective. Wait for somebody who is on a, a good, solid foundation in the boat. Pull you into the boat and take you to shore. Don't do anything when you're in white water. Desolations and white water are the same thing. And many Christians are making major decisions in desolations of the heart. Don't ever make a major decision when you're in a place of desolation. Are you with me? We often make the biggest mistakes in our life, the biggest decisions in our life in times of desolation. I've done it, so I'm not judging anybody for it. So in consolations, test it before you decide it. In desolations, wait for it before you do it. The bigger, listen, the bigger the decision, the more time you need to wait. The more time you need to wait. These are, this is how you discern What's going on in your heart? So before you talk to God and before you do, you discern. How do you discern? Just like I'm attention you right now. Are you with me, everybody? Would you stand on your feet? I want to pray for you. Did you get something out of that this morning? Yes. 
you're going to have to make some big moves, some big boy and big girl decisions this year and next year. And I hope you go back and listen to this because this is chock full of nuts. It's packed with protein to help you in your spiritual development. The part of your heart that God gave you, that new heart, it, he's working on you. He's, he's working in you. He's developing you. Many of you have received a new heart, and you need to learn how to discern the consolations and desolations of your heart through these filters. Don't, 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 just, don't just decide without discerning, and don't discern and, 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 and then just discern and just discern and just discern and never decide. Are you with me? God wants to, God wants to help you make big moves and big decisions, but he's giving you tools on how to do it. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me punctuate that message for those of you. Father, I pray by prayer through faith that you would seal this message into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls in this room. Help them understand as they leave today that they can listen to their hearts. Yes, you can. Does your heart always tell you exactly what to do? No, but it's capable. It's capable. Do you need your heart to discern? Yes, it's essential. It's essential. You need your heart. And God wants to speak to you. And when he does, it can literally change your life. Now maybe there's some here who would say, you talked about that new heart, Pastor Derek, but I'm not sure I, I have that new heart. I'm not sure that my heart is in God's hands fully. I don't have that confidence, that security. Well, you can, and that's why you're here, and that's why we exist as a church, just to help people who are disconnected connect to God and, and get that new heart. And how do you do it, Pastor Derek? You simply just have to surrender. In a word, you just, I let go of trying to like, do it on my own. I transfer trust from me to God and what God did through his son for me. What did he do? He gave his son, his one and only son, for God so loved the world and he loved you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He did that because he loves you. And if by faith you can receive what he did for you, you can have a new heart and a new spirit, and that spirit can come inside of you and make you a new person. If that's you today, and you say, that's me, Pastor. I don't want to leave today without having that new heart and that new spirit and that, that, new, that new me. I don't want to leave without it. Raise your hand and just say, Pastor, that's me. I don't want to leave without that today. Good night. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Four or five people over there. Yes, anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, sister. Thank you. All the way in the back. Two, three in the back there. Thank you for that. God bless you in the middle. Three in the middle here. Thank you for that. God bless you for your courage. That's awesome. So proud of you. You can put your hands down, everybody. Church, would you would you join these people? We, we've been here before, but it's so significant for them. Those of you who raise your hand, just say this from your heart, and everybody's going to join you. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I want that new heart. It's only possible by grace through faith. I receive this gift of salvation freely for me, and I receive it by faith. You paid for my sins. And because of that, I can be a new person, receive a new identity, a new heart. Thank you, Jesus. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, seal it. Thank you for the new heart. Thank you for the new them. Thank you the old is gone. Behold, all things become new in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap for that? Praise God. Hey, listen. Just one more thing, and I'm going to turn this over to Jimmy. Jimmy, you can come right behind me. Listen, um, if you just made that decision, just raise your hand. That was a first-time decision. And or you have never been water baptized. 
uh, Jimmy, you don't have to say this. I'll say this for him. Listen, tonight we have a water baptism at 530. Yeah. Tonight. Okay. So what you did, what you did was just between me, you, and God in a big room with everybody's eyes closed. But when you get water baptized, it's in front of everybody. It's out in the open. So salvation is a personal decision. Water baptism is a public declaration that I made that decision, a coming out. And if you really want what you did today to stick, get baptized tonight. Show up tonight, and we'll help you. Uh, we, can, we can help them with everything, right? We got towels and all that kind of stuff. We can make it, you know, you might go home with your hair wet, but we'll, we'll have towels for you, okay? Don't worry about that. If, hey, listen, if Jesus got on the cross, I can get in the water for him, amen? Some people, I don't want to get my hair wet. Wait a second. Jesus died for you. You can't get your hair wet. Let's get our hair wet for Jesus. Amen. Tonight's going to be an awesome night. Don't miss it. 5.30 p.m. Let's give a shout out to all those getting baptized again one more time. Come on.